Welcome to a special large-scale edition of Highway 89. Today we're gathered in BYU Broadcasting's largest studio, Studio C, with the musicians of the Utah Wind Symphony, all 55 of them. It's quite a sight to behold. They're being so quiet right now. And being a wind band, that means there's not a violin or cello among them. Okay, one upright bass. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. The Utah Wind Symphony is a rare thing in the United States. Most active wind ensembles are on college campuses or their military bands where marching music is king. But the Utah Wind Symphony is a wish come to life. The group's founder, Lori Shepard, hoped for years to create a dream team of Utah musicians and finally succeeded in 2010 with the symphony performing its inaugural concert at Libby Gardner Hall in Salt Lake City. Just to give you an idea of how unique the Utah Wind Symphony is, composer David Maslenka was intrigued enough to waive royalty fees and donate his time to come out and work with the ensemble. That doesn't happen every day. The symphony is now in its fourth season. There's been a lot of positive press. The Salt Lake Tribune reported on the symphony's impressive technical proficiency with fiendishly difficult scores and wrote that the musicians' sensitive expressiveness astounds. I think my favorite compliment was a fan who just said, there is no finer band west of Washington, D.C. I mean, what else can you say? The group collaborates regularly with guest artists. They commission new music. They're also about to record a CD. We'll talk about that soon. But one thing I'd like to see them do next, we'll try and talk them into doing a flash mob performance. Maybe we can get that going before the show's over today. First, we're going to start off with our first guest, Gandalf. Not in person, but the piece. This is from Dutch composer Johan de Mai, and this is from his Symphony Number no. One, nicknamed Lord of the Rings Symphony. We'll hear the first of five movements called Gandalf. <laughs>
That's Gandalf, the first movement of Johann de May's first symphony, The Lord of the Rings. Five different movements in that symphony. It makes me want to hear them all. In order, they are Gandalf, Lothlorien, Gollum, that should be interesting, Journey in the Dark, and ending with Hobbits. I'm Stephen Cap Perry, and you are listening to this music being performed live on Highway 89, the fifth by the 55 musicians of the Utah Wind Symphony. Scott Hagen is the music director of the Utah Wind Symphony, also the director of bands at the University of Utah School of Music. Scott, thank you for being here with the group. Thank you very much. It's our pleasure. I wondered, clear back to the early days when Lori Shepard came to you, she was a musician, and she told you the idea about getting some musicians together. What did you think about trying to do a group like this not associated with the university or any other organization? It was it was a surprise to me that Lori came in with uh, the question if I would be interested in, number one, conducting it. And I said, absolutely. But I said, you're in charge of getting all the players. <laughs> I said, I want it completely separate from the, the university group. And so a number of the musicians in the ensemble contacted some of their uh, colleagues that played uh, in Salt Lake and so on around the valleys. And we had a reading session, I'll never forget it, in July. And all of a sudden, all these, all these people came. And I remember the first time I walked in the room and I went, whoa, these are some unbelievable musicians. And I think when we first played together, it was something that was very, very unique, very unique sounding. And I remember I had one of the Long-term band directors in the, in the Salt Lake Valley came up to me after rehearsal. He said, how did you do this? And I said, do what? How did you get all these great musicians to come all at the same time? I said, I have no idea. It just must have happened. If you build it, they will yeah, come. Yeah, I guess Is so. That... <laughs> yeah. But it was exciting. Uh, and it's been a, just a wonderful, a wonderful opportunity for all of us to get together and, and perform some great music. Is there a lack of opportunity for people who are very skilled musicians once they're through their academics. Is, is it hard to find a top-notch organization to It is. To that's with? what Lori, her concern was. She was winding down her master's uh, degree, and she didn't really have any ambition to really be a professional symphony orchestra player. And so her, she really wanted a need to play in a really good organization, and that's why she came up with the idea, and then it just blossomed into what it is today. So how long have there been wind symphonies? Well, they've been around for, you know, years. Uh, you know, we used to call them bands at the time. They were like military bands, and they basically, you know, in the 1800s with Patrick Gilmore, John Philip Sousa, those are all professional bands. Those kind of died out in the early 20s, except for, you know, some, some bands in the state of Utah. Every community in the state of Utah, had a, every city or town had a band of some kind, some kind of community band. Well, I remember hearing about even... The firemen would have a band. The sure. policemen would have a band. Mm -hmm. And even your factory would have a band. Yeah. They, um, that's just been a, a thing that's been continued for many, many years. And I think it's coming back a little bit. There's a lot of community bands around the area that are, that are just inviting people to play. Because it's a shame, you know, when, when kids go through high school and some to college, and then they end up putting their horn away. And it's really a shame because they've spent so many years playing and practicing that you know, why not play in something? So who becomes your audience? Because uh, you can't send out a mailing to all the university personnel or whoever it might be. The who is your audience? The audience, a lot of high school students have, have uh, come to the concerts as well as, uh, you know, relatives of the people in the group. Or it, it, the word is, the word just still needs to get out a little bit more about us because it's very unique to have this kind of organization at this level uh, you know, there's only like three or four of us in the country that do this kind of thing because we have, 
we have like four rehearsals and then we do a concert. So we don't meet weekly. So we meet very quickly and, you, and perform. And you have to be able to learn the music that quickly. And that's, and that's the challenge of it. It's, it's fun. It's great. Well, we're going to hear another piece right now. If you, uh, I, I'm excited for this piece for a couple of reasons. One is that it uses bowed vibraphone. How often do you get to hear that? Nice, mysterious sound. But this is a piece that was written by a contemporary composer born in 73 in Ohio. This is John Mackey, and he didn't play an instrument himself. This shows how modern he is. His grandfather gave him a computer with music notating software. That's how he learned to write. And even when he went to uh, the Cleveland Institute and got his master's at Juilliard, he still never played anything. He just heard the music and put it on screen. Kind of interesting. Here is his piece, Sheltering Sky.
John Mackey's Sheltering Sky, performed live by the Utah Wind Symphony. As you can tell, this is an extremely talented group of musicians. Many of them substitute regularly with the Utah Symphony. Others have played in major orchestras and on Broadway. I always think the mark of a good orchestra or a band is what they do when they play something legato like that, because such breath control and the tuning is just so important. Howard Summers plays trumpet and is now the president of the Utah Wind Symphony. He also plays in another orchestra of some renown, the orchestra at Temple Square. Howard, thank you for coming today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I wonder if you'd tell us about what you do with guest artists, because you have been bringing people in. I wanted to ask uh, at first, did you being a trumpet player have anything to do with inviting <laughs> Alan Vizzuti? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think it had something to do with it. I was, certainly wasn't the deciding factor, but I was definitely a strong proponent of that. When you've got a good band like this, what does that do when you bring in a guest artist? Oh, I think everyone's very, very excited about it. It's, it's the kind of thing that um, this, this band doesn't have a, any lack of motivation. I think that the, everyone's just really excited to be here. Uh, when we started out, this was something that we did, everybody did it for free, and, and now it is a paid organization. But still, I think that there's a drive behind it. But having an artist like that really just puts you on the edge of your seat and just gets everybody so excited for it. I think it, it heightens our you know, musicianship and, and just the excitement of the whole thing. So. Well, it must be exciting for the artists, too, because they have this wonderful band working with them. I think so. My impression, everybody that we've worked with, everybody that's come in has just been uh, very, very, very positive about the whole thing. And, and they've kind of passed it around to other people. They've, they've really been spreading the word and getting a lot of people excited about the organization. So. Now, I don't know about your garage, my garage would not fit this band for a rehearsal. <laughs> so <laughs> what's it like trying to find rehearsal space? That's the eternal question of performing troops, tr well, performing companies. Yeah, we're definitely not a garage band. Uh, and the equipment <laughs> the equipment going with it is, is a pretty big job as well. But most of the time, uh, we are using space that's um, provided by band directors. And there are several band directors in the group. And, you know, sometimes we have to rent the, the facility and sometimes the, uh, the facility is donated. But... That's usually what we end up doing. So. Well, we wanted to get to know a few of the players. Besides being president of the organization, you are one of the players. Yep. And we've heard about this greenhouse of yours. <laughs> yeah, I think somebody's been digging <laughs> on Facebook. but uh, That's the trouble. You put that out there. People it's read true. it. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Well, I heard you even have a hammock in your greenhouse. I have a hammock in my greenhouse. It's kind of a lifelong thing. So I've always been in love with plants. Uh, I, I really have a lot of different passions with woodworking and biking and cars and guns and all kinds of stuff. But um, probably the biggest ones probably uh, after music would be the garden thing. So, yeah, I've got a, a greenhouse with uh, uh, three or four bananas and uh, guava. And I've got fruit from the guava. And uh, uh, everyone's all excited about the uh, pineapple. So it took me a couple of years, but I got fruit from the pineapple. So it was amazing. It was very amazing. Do they have a season or are they year-round if, if you've got the greenhouse right? In the greenhouse, I, it just kind of grows all year. So, yeah. You, should, you shouldn't really let people know that you have fresh pineapple, right? <laughs> you know, that your well, neighbors will. I did, I did share it. And, oh, my goodness, it was the best pineapple I've ever had in my life. You know, most of the time, the inside, the core is, you like, really chewy and you can't eat it. And this thing was just, like, delicious, and we ate the whole thing. So they say so. talking to plants is good. Do you ever play for them? <laughs> Do you ever practice it? Uh, no, it's pretty echoey. It's pretty loud, and the trumpet's kind of a loud instrument already. I do, I do listen to music in there, but, like, the hammock is really, uh, you know, used... So I'll grab a book and I'll you know, put some music on in there and just kind of relax. 
It's a beautiful house. I, I also heard room. there was a giant pumpkin, not the great pumpkin, but a giant pumpkin. Yeah, so I've had some some luck with uh, giant pumpkins. So the biggest one we've ever done was about 300 pounds, and and there's a, a photo on on Facebook of uh, my uh, second oldest daughter, I guess, or third, I don't remember, inside the pumpkin peeking out. So. All right. Well, we're going to hear another piece. I want to mention that Howard is also the director of the Utah Wind Symphony Youth Ensemble, an ongoing statewide honor band, and teaches band at Lehigh Junior High School. And he and his wife are raising their four beautiful daughters in Lehigh, Utah, not far from here. This next piece is one that I think we're going to get a workout for all six members of the percussion section in this. This is the first suite for military band from uh, Gustav Holst. Uh, he really took military band from being kind of just something you did for fun to being something that people would go to a concert to hear. And this was one of his first notable symphonic works. And uh, he had the advantage of being a top-notch trombonist. He knew what he was doing. This first suite will hear all three movements. Sometimes they flow into one another. Sometimes there's just a brief pause depending on how the conductor wants to do it. Written in 1909, we'll now hear the first suite in E-flat for Military Band by Gustav Holst.
First Suite in E-flat for Military Band by Gustav Holst, performed live in Studio C here at BYU Broadcasting by our guest, the Utah Wind Symphony. Holst himself, he started writing that music. He had spent summers playing in various bands, a Scottish band and various seaside bands, just playing for people walking along at, uh, the sea- seashore, and he was not always pleased with the quality of music he had, th- decided he'd make a change. Randall Clark is the principal saxophonist with the symphony, the, the Wind Symphony. He conducts the Utah Wind Symphony Youth Ensemble as well and regularly performs with the Salt Lake City Jazz Orchestra. Randall, thank you for coming in. It's a pleasure. Playing for us. I wanted to ask about the Utah Symphony Youth Ensemble, a statewide honor band. What exactly does that mean? So what we have are the best and brightest musicians that play a wind instrument, um, junior high and high school age, and they audition, and we get to work with those kids every week. So do they send in tapes from all over? We have an audition every year, and, uh, you know, they come from all over the state, um, as far south as St. George and as far north as Logan, and... Um, we put those kids together, and, and it's amazing. Some of the kids are traveling so far to be in such a great group. And then once a year, besides a guest conductor, you also do a concert where the youth ensemble and the Wind Symphony play together. Does this mean they take turns, or do they actually combine? So we have a really neat setup for this concert. So the youth ensemble gets to play by themselves. They get to do a couple numbers, and then they get to sit side by side with the adult group, which is phenomenal for these young musicians to sit right next to a professional um, and do a few numbers, and Scott Hagen conducts those pieces. Um, And then they get to sit and watch the rest of the concert um, while the adult band plays. It's a really great setup. And you also have a student concerto competition. I've seen this happen with orchestras a lot, but not with wind symphonies. Is this unique? Well, I mean, it's unique in terms of the wind symphony to have a concerto competition, but I think that's mostly just by virtue of the fact that there aren't that many wind bands at a professional level around. So, um, but yeah, we, we uh, pick a, a college um, winner and a high school winner and a junior high winner, and then they get to perform a concerto with the, uh, with the Utah Wind Symphony. Now, because you play saxophone, you have your foot in both classical and the jazz world. That's right. And do you think they're complementary to each other? Well, they definitely are. Um, you know, uh, jazz is mostly an improvisatory and uh, ear training art, and that really um, suits the classical music very well, you know, especially when we're tuning and phrasing and things within the ensemble. Um, to have those skills, you know, just really adds a lot.
So, so how much how much repertoire is there for classical saxophone? There's quite a bit. Um, a lot of it is uh, music that has been um, stolen from, from the flutes <laughs> and the oboes, and and sometimes horn. Um, and my wife's a horn player, and so every time I pull something out for horn, she tries to beat me. But um, it, you know, th- we've stolen a lot. But there is a lot of legitimate music. A lot of it, um, you know, back in the 20s and 30s, um, you know, from France, and that worked its way over to Germany, and then uh, over to the United States. So there's quite a large um, repertoire. Now you're making me want to hear an album of Mozart saxophone concertos. <laughs> <laughs> we, well, we do it. We we don't we don't brag about it, but we do it. <laughs> you do it in, in secret meetings of saxophone players. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, as Randall heads back to join the group, I want to say this is, we have better than front row seats right here. We are right by the orchestra. 55 players. We're so glad to have them here today. Uh, this is BYU Broadcasting's largest studio. It's actually the only one that could hold the ensemble and and broadcast for you. If you'd like to hear them in person, I hope you'll go to utahwindsymphony.org and find out about upcoming concerts. We're going to play a piece now that most of you will recognize. If you know orchestral music, if you know opera, if you know musical theater, or if you know wind symphonies, it's a piece that is a prelude or or the overture to an operetta. It premiered back in 1957 by the New York Philharmonic. Of course, written by Leonard Bernstein. It was a hit at the premiere. Within two years, had been recorded by 100 orchestras. It was so popular instantly we're going to hear the wind symphony version of the candide overture by leonard bernstein
I mentioned that piece premiered back in 1957, performed by the New York Philharmonic, the composer Leonard Bernstein conducting. Interestingly, ever since a memorial concert in 1990, where the New York Philharmonic performed it in his honor after his passing, they actually performed that piece without a conductor, and that has been their tradition ever since. And I don't know how they do that with all those shifting time changes and everything, but that must be quite a feat. That's performed live here by the Utah Wind Symphony under the direction of Scott Hagen. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Scott, the symphony also has commissioned original pieces, and last year gave the world premiere of Alex Wesson's The Loud Calligraphy of Lightning. Was the composer able to come? Yes, he was. He was with us for, um, I think, two days. It was his first composition for wind ensemble or wind band, and he um, works for Philip Glass. He's Philip Glass's, I think, copyist. I'm not exactly sure, but is, is, uh, works for Philip. That must have been thrilling for him to hear it in well, rehearsal it really, and in it was, live. It was really fun. It's always fun when a composer's there because you really get the insight, what they were thinking about when they wrote it. And it's interesting for them because a lot of composers now compose from a computer. And so the sounds are computer generated, so they don't actually hear what it actually sounds like with a wind band. And all of a sudden, the wind band is like, sometimes they rethink it, sometimes they maybe go back and adjust it. But he was, he was really thrilled with it. It was a great piece of music. How much of, uh, of the repertoire for wind band is there that's not marches? A lot now. We played, you uh, mentioned first uh, suite, Holst's first suite. That was mm. 1909. That was really the, the big cornerstone piece for wind band. That's really when it all really started. So things, some... things get adapted from orchestra, but how much is being written first for wind band? Is that increasing all the time? It's increasing all the time. There's a group of a lot of uh, about 10 or 12 young composers that are getting played a lot. John Mackey would be one of them, Jonathan Newman, uh, Steve Bryant. And these are people that you can talk to you can email them you can send them the recordings i mean you get get it firsthand from the composer how they want their music to be played which is which is fantastic you know which is a really a good plus for us well the organization going for four years now and you're ready to record your first cd so what kind of repertoire we're going to do original wind repertoire um we haven't really we're trying to maybe do recordings of music that hasn't been recorded a lot so we kind of want to be the recording of some certain pieces that people can go to for the, the, the sound of the ensemble, for the style of the ensemble, things like that. We kind of want to be the recording, whatever it would be. Okay, and my assigned task is to persuade you to do a flash mob of some sure. time where you all yeah. show up. Well, they're great. <laughs> we'll start brainstorming. Maybe we can be part of this. This great. <laughs> Speaking of publicizing wind bands and bringing it to people's attention, uh, it isn't often that a young person... Uh, someone turning 18 opts to celebrate their birthday by attending a symphony concert, but one young woman recently did just that. She went to the Utah Wind Symphony performance and afterwards posted on social media, best birthday ever. Black Horse Troop is my new favorite piece. We're going to hear that piece going out here today, but I have to say, John Philip Sousa, American king of marches at the time, he wrote a piece that was a tribute to Troop A, the 107th Cavalry from the Cleveland, Ohio National Guard. They had all black horses. They would come down the street in a parade and they would do formations. All those big, black, well-trained horses, just an amazing feat. And then just picture being at the premiere for this. Sousa got up there on the stand. The band was ready to play. Down the aisles come 
the black horses led by their riders. They come up on stage. They come behind the band and line up all those horses facing. They must have been well-trained not to be scared by the bass drum and the cymbals. That was the concert, and they said that everybody who was there at the premiere, they just lost their minds. It was so exciting. We're going to hear now the Black Horse Troop March by John Philip Sousa.
live from the BYU Broadcasting Studios. That's Sousa's Black Horse Troop March, performed by the Utah Wind Symphony. That concludes this edition of Highway 89. It's been exciting to be so close to the Wind Symphony, and thank you to each of the players for being here playing for us today. The Utah Wind Symphony has been praised for impressive technical proficiency with fiendishly difficult scores, and they've been called the best wind band west of Washington, D.C. They performed at the 2013 Utah Music Educators Association Convention with Alan Vizzuti, and they'll perform this year at the Utah Arts Festival. Information about their upcoming concerts, projects, their new CD that's in the works, and hopefully that flash mob concert we want them to do, online at utahwindsymphony.org. We welcome your comments and questions about today's show. To contact us, simply email us at highway89 at byu.edu. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. The recording engineer is Scott Sandstrom, and our producer is Jackie Tataishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening. <laughs>